Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Epic Phelan Podcast. We have with us today, Colin Henthorne. Hello, Colin. Hi, Ryan. Thank you very much for uh, joining the podcast here. I know you're a super busy guy. My pleasure. Colin is an author of a book. He is also a captain of, was a captain of a ferry boat. Yeah, ferry boat is a little misleading term. It was a car-carrying uh, passenger vessel oh, okay. on the BC coast. It ran the full length of the BC coast, not just back and forth across the narrow strait. Yeah, and for those that, that think of, you know, the ferries that, you know, are just, you know, across the hour trip, you know, over to the island, how, how long typically would a round trip be? It's about a thousand kilometers, I guess. 540 nautical miles. That would take, you know... A couple days or? Yep, one one day uh, down, one day back. The uh, 15-hour trip, doing pretty good speed to, to make it one way. Summertime, we ran uh, at a pretty good clip. Wintertime, it wasn't daily, it was uh, weekly. And um, with another trip bi-weekly. So it was adjusted to uh, actually take much longer. We pulled into different ports all along the way and we had to time it for convenient times for arrival. If you think uh, the midnight's convenient <laughs> or one in the morning is convenient. Yeah, it was around the clock, 24 hour a day operation. Oh, wow. Yeah. So definitely you have to, you're gonna have sleeping quarters there and-, and That's right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and there's gonna be shifts and just like any anything else, kind of. That's right. You had to have a full complement of crew that were able to uh, work in shifts. To uh, so the vessel was always manned with people on shift who could run it. How, how big of a crew would you say there was? Forty, including the captain. Now we had two others on board who were there for training, so forty-two uh, employees. Altogether. Oh wow, that's that's a huge, right? So you know, when you say to the, yep. the the lay person, you know, it's like, oh, you know, it's a boat that just kind of goes. It's a ferry. It's they think it was something so much smaller, right? Yeah. Yeah. What happened exactly? So this is this is some time ago. This is 2006. Yeah. Yeah. 15 years ago, we were sailing from Prince Rupert at the north end of the BC coast down to Port Hardy, which is at the north end of Vancouver Island. We left at eight o'clock in the evening. The arrival time in Port Hardy, uh, was, if I remember right, was to be seven o'clock in the morning. So a 23 hour journey with a couple of stops along the way in uh, small coastal communities. After midnight, it was 12.25, so almost four and a half hours into the trip. As you explained, uh, we operate 24 hours a day. We have to operate in ships. Captain of a ship like that or any ship that operates 24 hours a day is not up on the bridge for the entire time. Naturally, yeah. Fully qualified people who are on the bridge all the time. 12.25, 25 minutes after midnight, the ship ran into an island, tore out the um, bottom of the ship from end to end, completely uh, damaging in every uh, compartment in the ship. The ships are divided into watertight compartments, but the idea is that if one of the compartments is flooded, 
ship will still stay afloat. It doesn't work if every compartment is flooded. So I, I've, I've seen this in movies where, you know, especially yeah. Navy movies where they're rushing around trying to like lock off uh, bigger doors and, and, and yeah. That's right. And we have uh, watertight doors that are between each compartment. The bulkheads, the, the walls in between them are very strongly built. Everything is made for survivability. But there was no saving uh, this ship. After it, it, it kind of sideswiped the island is the best way to put it. And there was a little bit of a ledge. Most of the islands along this part of the coast are very steep. They're actually mountains that are bases are down on the seafloor and they're almost vertical sides but not quite and this one there was a little bit of a ledge if you just picture you know the mountains you've seen there are ledges here and there that make uh, walking trails sometimes it was like that and that ledge took out the propellers took out the whole bottom of the ship the sides of the ship below the water line were hold oh wow but there was the ship had so much momentum because of the speed we were doing that it drifted out into deep water and by deep 1400 feet is the depth of the water where it drifted into and it, it became apparent pretty quickly within a few minutes that the ship was going to sink and there was nothing that would possibly prevent that from happening i give the order to abandon ship got everyone on board all the passengers all the crew up onto the uh decks the embarkation deck where you would get into a lifeboat or a life raft and we got people off we got everyone off when this happens i mean you're you're fairly calm about it i mean which i mean that's that's what you would have to be you would have to be pretty calm cool and collected because when you realize that your ship is going to sink and you're not you're not in uh in a situation where you're in shallow waters you're you're you know 1400 Feeling this thing's going down in a hurry, you say. Yes. To to keep it calm and cool, like how how did you do that? Do you remember like what you were feeling at the time? Where I do remember what I was feeling, and and I was um, quite surprised at at my own reaction and what came about. I've spoken to you know a number of professionals about that. What I was thinking, of course, was you know what's going on, what's happening, but same time my body was going into um the fight or flight my heart was pounding it was pounding literally so hard when i looked down at my uh, chest i could see my my boat moving in and out with every beat of my heart oh man and uh, when i left my cabin to get up to the bridge the way up there my throat had become so dry that i was i didn't think i was going to be able to speak I almost went back to get some water, but as it turned out, I got up there and I was able to speak and I was able to react. And the best explanation I've had is that that's the training that takes over, it allows you to um, simply follow the steps that are right in front of you and take them. People have said uh, how calm I appeared outwardly, but my, uh, my body was, was anything but calm. My stomach was in knots, my heart was pounding hard, my throat went dry. After a couple of minutes, I just forgot about all that and, and just did, you know, what needed to be done. And I compare it to um, if you're ever in a building where the fire alarm's going off and those bells are deafeningly loud. Yeah. And you might think that you got to shut those bells off so I can think. But in, in fact, you can think even with the 
noise going on. And that noise of the bells ringing, that's just the emergency condition in that building. And if you compare the human body, to your physiology to, to that, those are just your emergency systems getting ready to go, getting set up. You've got your adrenaline pumping and your heightened um, reactions and and um, and things kind of narrow down. If if uh, if you've ever been in a really dangerous condition or a situation that you perceive as dangerous, tunnel vision is one thing that that will often happen. You become much more focused. You've got really no choice in how your body's going to react. It's that fight or flight reaction. You don't have any say over what happens there, but with the training, you are able to just carry out what you've been trained to do and think about the things because of the training. That's what you're told, yeah. I find, well, I still find it quite mysterious that, that we can function under that. See, most people don't get to, I mean, lucky you, but most people don't get to ever experience something so heavy, right? Or, or something where they, they get really tested, right? And I think that's a, a unique thing that we have, especially nowadays. It's like we, we kind of, you know, if you've ever bought a $5 coffee, you're pretty soft, right? In this, in, in general speaking, in the, in, the, in, the, in the Western world. But yeah, like no, not a lot of people get a chance to know how, to truly know how they're going to perform in a situation like that. So that's, that's, that's super interesting. So what, so what happened next? What's, that's the. All the crew got to their stations. The engine room was, was flooding so quickly I couldn't get a hold of the engine room. There'd be a telephone system. Actually, we have three telephone systems for getting a hold of the engine room. Plus, we have handheld radios, walkie-talkie. None of those got a response. Two of the officers from the bridge ran down towards the engine room, but they got driven back by the water that was coming up the stairways. So they had to turn back. Everybody got out of the engine room, though. Oh. And... Up on deck, there were off-duty crew members who were sleeping, who were awakened by the crash. Some of them were up to their ankles in water when they jumped out of bed. Some of them up to their knees. One crew member, she was up to her chest in water before she was able to get out. Those people had the worst of the experiences. They didn't have time to grab anything, not shoes or clothes or a thing to get up on deck. And there, you know, you talk about being calm in a situation like that. I went out, directed everybody to come up to their lifeboat stations and life raft stations. And I got up there and I noticed there were about three or four of the crew, uh, female members who were wearing pajamas. Oh, geez. And I thought, holy smokes, you know, after all the drills we do and, and all the training and everything, they still don't know enough to show up <laughs> properly dressed. I had no idea what had gone on down down below what they had but there was no time they, yeah. they had no time they they were able to escape with their lives and and that was it same with the guys who came out of there too they were whatever they were sleeping and that's what they showed up in on on deck those were cabins that are located below the waterline the other half of the crew were up above the waterline so a couple of those guys ran inside got clothing out of their own cabins to distribute amongst those who didn't have clothing the crew is the fire department on a on a ship, so we have the same fire fighting uh, turnout gear that you, that you see firemen wearing whenever you see them show up. So 
the coats and the and the pants and gumboots and everything, those were available. We had sets of those that people put those things on, which was actually probably the best year they could have had. Certainly kept them warm. Proceeded with getting the lifeboats and the life rafts uh, rigged and ready to board. Started putting people into them, launched everything. We have an emergency um, checklist, which the uh, third officer was responsible for um, maintaining. She was the communicator as well. So she was able to check off every item as, as it was taking place, communicate with the, the Coast Guard over the, over the radio and tell them exactly what was going on. And then once every raft was away, except for the very last lifeboat, we had two lifeboats and several life rafts. I think we launched six that night rafts. These rafts are big inflatable things, like sort of a giant size, heavy duty. Uh, if you picture a kid's swimming pool, like you would set up in your backyard and blow up, kind of that sort of shape, circular, but with a canopy on it. So like a tent over the top. Those are what most of the people um, ended up in. Those were launched. At that point, uh, just one life raft or one boat rather ready to go. I looked inside from, from outside in the passenger cabin area and I ran in and I just ran through and knocked open all the doors very fast. It wasn't a thorough search. The cabins had already been searched, but I needed to take a last look or at least that's what I felt. And then we all got into the, uh, everybody into the uh, life boat, except for me and two crew people that were needed to launch the boat. We launched it and then there's a rope ladder comes down the side. It's called a Jacob's ladder. And uh, they climbed down the ladder into the boat. I climbed down the ladder into the boat. And at that point, on the side of the ship, there are letters uh, that are probably about 10 feet in height that say BC Ferries big logo down the side those letters were halfway submerged already so the ship was already pretty much sunk by the time i got down the ladder got in got in the boat and of course you want to get a good distance away from a sinking ship for a number of reasons it's just a dangerous place to be around we did and then we watched it sink and it was um just an unbelievable sight you know it, it just got deeper and deeper and then the lights started going out one by one you could see them all, all the lights going out the bow started to come up until the ship was completely vertical with the bow pointing straight up to the sky and then it just went straight down oh right before us it was how was that going from like a fight or flight mode to being you know you're safe you, you got you know got everybody off but what is it like then to come back to to reality and be like what do you go through i was in love with that ship it was a beautiful ship i was so proud of it and i had lived on that ship i had spent more time on that ship than i have in any house that i've ever lived in I had been uh, with the company almost 20 years. Most of it spent in that ship. I was just alternately praying that one, that some miracle would save it. And alternately praying that I wish it would just hurry up and, and go. So I don't have to watch 
Oh wow! Watch it so long. It was because it was sinking gradually, but and then it was gone. Also, I should have said when when we were watching it, we had two lifeboats and we had a large um, inflatable um, boat, a, a fast response craft. And the crew is trained to do this. They corral all the life rafts and the lifeboats and lash them all together so that we're all in one place. We're not drifting apart from each other. And then of course, uh, you know, what I'm concerned with then is to count heads and see, see if, how many we have. Actually, we were doing that while the ship was sinking. We didn't wait for it to sink before we took that action. We were counting up how many people we had, which turned out to be surprisingly difficult. There was really- <laughs> Really? <laughs> Well, you'd start to count and, and then there'd be, oh, wait a minute, you know, you got to go back and count again. So, okay, this life raft here, the one I'm shining the flashlight at, count up how many people you have and tell us. And there would be mistakes made. And then, of course, you had to add it up. And it, it, sound, it's a, it sounds like a, the most simple thing is to count the people, but it's not when you're, when you're in that situation. It, I can't even imagine like the chaos and what people must be going through, and then. Well, sure, you've got you've got one guy who's doing the counting. He forgets to count himself, or he counts himself twice, or or something like that. Well, now your count's wrong. Yeah, and that's just so easy for anyone to do that, you know. And then, of course, uh, you know, assessing everybody's condition is everybody is anybody injured? First question. People are wet especially the crew the the thing of the passengers really got wet it was raining but it wasn't raining hard um and then i'm thinking about people who need medication for example does anybody they weren't able to to um take anything with them so if, if somebody's diabetic or has a, a medical condition that, that relies on medication and there were a few there were i think there were about three that were going to need medication not immediately but Within a few hours, they were going to be needing it. So that was, you know, an important thing to find out. And fortunately, there were no really serious injuries. One crew member had a pretty bad cut just behind her ear that she'd picked up on the way out. One of the engine room crew had, had got his fingers pinched in something. I think he might have broken one finger, which is painful. But, you know, none of them, none of those people ever complained or even said that you know that this is this is what's going on and you know i spoke about that woman who was up to her chest in water her job her emergency station was at a life raft and her job was launching the life raft and she in spite of the fact of being freezing cold and soaking wet and had been through what she had been through you would never have known she just did her job got the life raft ready for launching, got it loaded, got it launched, everything. That's something that I find interesting, like when you watch movies about any kind of situation like this, whether it be like Titanic or you know, a Navy movie, like Hunt for Red October or anything, or a movie where they're up north in Canada, like they never get cold right. <laughs> they like they, it's yeah. like they never they never get it right. And it's like it's like they don't they don't understand how crazy cold that must be she must have been frozen like it, it would have been i can't even imagine how cold that must have been yeah there was a community uh, a few miles away a small community 
that all have radio, uh, marine radios there that's in every house. They picked up the, the distress call. And they came out in their boats to help. They were the first ones to arrive. And then the Coast Guard arrived a little bit later. You know, I'm trying to uh, sort of triage who should be getting taken ashore first. And of course, I'm thinking, well, anybody who's injured or anybody who has any kind of, you know, send the most needy first. And um, nobody in the crew spoke up. Um, Lynn, the lady who, who had been up to her chest in water, told me afterwards, she was just thinking, oh, I hope he picked me, pick me, pick me. I'm so <laughs> but she never, she never said anything. She didn't ask at the time and yeah when you're wet and you're cold <laughs> when you lose that well you can't swim you um you can't help yourself no matter how hard you you try no matter how desperate you are yeah yeah so that's that's some that's some that's some craziness so again like after after the, everything is settled you're you're just you know you're watching the boat and it's yeah, pardon the pun. Like, when did everything kind of sink in emotionally? I don't know. I was uh, quite surprised at my own emotions, I guess, and it's sinking in because I still didn't believe what I had seen, even though I had watched it. It, it you find that in other times of life, you know, when you uh, hear about a death of someone you know and you can't believe it, you're still you're still expecting him to come walking around the corner any minute. Yeah, and it was it was like that that uh, Josh I, I watched it think but I, I still couldn't believe that it had it had happened. I left everything on board that I the only thing that anybody brought with them was what was I only have it was in the pockets of the clothes that I had put on. So I had some valuable things like wristwatch and stuff like that, camera and so on. I was so surprised that I. If I had lost any of those things any other way, you know, I would have been really distraught. But I, I just felt, man, I'm so lucky to, to be alive. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. It's so you have that feeling of, of being lucky to be alive. And how were how were like that was a company that you were working for? Like how was BC Ferries and all this? And and you know the media. Like I look at the media now. And I think they're different than maybe 10 years ago a little bit, but I think even then they were still, I don't know, it's, if they can create a story or if they can push a narrative where people pretty honest with you and pretty straightforward, or they... As far as the media was, nobody, nobody in the media has been dishonest with me. The company wanted to get me out of the, the light as, as much as possible which was a good thing. It belonged to a guild that provides us with legal defense insurance. So among the first people to arrive in Prince Rupert after the, the sinking, we were all taken up to Prince Rupert, came and saw me pretty quickly and, and you know, gave me the advice, you know, don't talk to anybody, stay in your room. And then he made sure that when, after a few days had gone by and I was able to go home, it kept me protected from the media the whole time. The phone, when I finally got home, was ringing all the time. And he just told me not to answer it. Once in a while, I would forget and answer it. And 
but whoever it was was always polite that I, you know, I told him I couldn't say anything or I, or else I just said, oh, he's not here right now. Sorry. Something like that. But I wasn't mistreated by the media. Actually, I was treated pretty sympathetically, quite sympathetically, I think, throughout the, the whole thing by the press. Yeah, that's that, that's good. Because sometimes, sometimes you see it go the other way and it's like, uh, you're not giving this guy a chance. But that's good that, that you didn't have any negative negativity that way. My present job, I was trained to... Uh, how to talk to the media, how to come out and do an interview after uh, an incident and so on. And the guy who taught that course, an experienced, uh, we used to call them public relations, now they're called uh, public affairs or communications or something like that. He had a lot of international experience and he said said Canadian press are quite good. And he said Canadian and German are very good. Other countries can be quite, quite bad. So now we all know that not every Canadian reporter is 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 going to be like that, but generally that was that was his um, impression after quite a bit of experience. And and you know I've uh, after he said that you know I, I was I've been watching you know how that how they are, and that's pretty well borne out. You still have to be careful what you say. And it's not just the reporters. People are going to read something one way, take it out of context, or something. That's, like I think that. that's with everything now. Is you kind of have to, you have to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. When did the book get released? The book was released ten years uh, on the tenth anniversary of of the same. On the tenth uh, on the tenth anniversary. So yeah, twenty sixteen. Yeah. Was it was it very like, cathartic to to go through and and? Yeah, it was. Well, a lot of it was difficult. But it was, you know, when you, I'd have to write an explanation or a rendition of what happened and and so on. And, and was, you know, some parts were hard to write, some parts were not. When you finally get through a really hard part and, and you know, come up with the right words to describe the, everything, it's, it's a really good feeling. Actually. Yeah. 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 And I wanted, I wanted to, put my story out because there was a lot of information that was going around. People are always looking for an answer and they'll quite often they don't get the a true answer. They'll get something that somebody's made up or thought up, something like that. So I I, I really had to um to work at it to do it and then to and then to word it in the find the right words for it. I would just um sort of write down what what I thought. And then I'd rewrite it and rewrite it until I had something that was, well, it was good for the reader and for, because I also had to write it, or I wanted to write it in such a way that anybody could read it. I didn't want it just to be something that only a professional could read. And I didn't want to write something that a professional would pick up and feel like he was being um, talked down to, you know, a dumbed down kind of version so I worked pretty hard at that I hope I succeeded I know it's a little technical in in some places a little too much for some people but I felt it all had to be explained so how long have you been doing um marine work or working with boats and working in the, working in the water professionally since I was in my late teens well we lived uh, on the water when I was a kid and I joined the sea cadets when I was 12 and 
so from that point on, it was a part of, of me, you know, that was my life up until that point. So there was, um, you know, I could say, uh, let's see, I think I was 53. So probably 35 years of 2006, I could say I had about 35 years of experience uh, working on the water. That's wild to, to go from, you know, just like a young guy you know, on, a, on a dinghy, right, to uh, to being the captain of a a, a boat of well, over a hundred over a hundred people. Yeah, yeah. I don't think everybody thinks this way, but a lot of us do. We start to question, you know, why did this happen and why was it me? And like other things in life, a significant thing happens in your life. Was it destiny? Is it is there a is it God's plan or why me and and why now and stuff like that? And but it led me to to a sense of gratitude that. It didn't happen until I was ready for it. You know, it didn't happen in my first year. It happened well later on when I when I was ready for it. And so that's part of what got us through. Yeah. I mean, you look at, um, you know, when you were saying that, I was kind of thinking of, again, it's such a movie buff. <laughs> all I, all I, could, I was thinking of, um, I'm ashamed that I can't remember his name, the pilot that landed on uh, the Great Lakes there. Um, you're talking about the Hudson, the Hudson River? River, yeah, yeah. Uh, his name was Sully, yeah, yeah, Sully, yeah. And they made the movie, yeah. right, with Sully, and yeah. um, yeah, and probably the same thing, right? Where it's like it didn't happen in his like first year, it happened, you know, he's more seasoned. The similarity that, that I see there is, you know, it was astounding what, what happened and, and what he did. Throughout the whole incident, from the time the the collision with the with the birds, well, he knew what. He simply took the the next step that was in front of him. Yeah. Throughout the whole thing, ETC was offering him free hand to go to any airport there was. They'd get everything out of the way, and the controller was telling him, "You're clear to land at this airfield or back at this airfield." He says, "We're not going to make it." You know, he could see where he was going. He just flew the airplane where the only place he could. Did a great job of it, kind of simplifying it. I know that not every pilot, well, I don't want to put it quite that way. I think most of them, <laughs> and I don't think every every pilot doesn't have the experience that he had. And there's would have had more, more difficulty perhaps than him and his co-pilot. But yes, he had, he had what it took to... Uh, save the people on board and um, get it done. Speaking of that movie, I always thought that I wish a, a lot more credit was given to the uh, the people in the boat who came out and, and rescued them. That was would not have been any, that was a pretty great feat of seamanship to, to do that. You want to get there as fast as you can. If you go charging up in a boat and wash everybody off the wing into the water with your wake, you know, that would not be good. So there's a very fine line that had to be done. And, and it's, I can't see how it could have been a very simple thing at all to pull people off the wing of a sinking airplane on, on board your boat and get every single one of them. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's almost a whole other story, the extraction, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I keep going back and thinking like, man... It would be, it would be an, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting read because, you know, you think you, you think you're having a bad day, <laughs> right? You know, it's like, you know, and, and then sort of what you went through and you're here and you're good and you're 
you know, you're successful in, in, you know, other, other points of your life, but it's like, you know, when people are thinking they're having a bad day, it's like, you can almost get into um, some sort of public speaking and talking about, like, I, I really like what you said about the next step, just take the next step, right? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, don't, don't sit there and revel in, in uh, the chaos or disaster that's happening around you, whether it's, you know, your business is having trouble or, or what, you know, whatever it may be, it's all in how you respond, right? True. And, and you'll often hear somebody say, oh, I do, you know, this guy does really well under pressure or I think a lot of the times is when you're under pressure, your priorities can become very clear. And, and so that everything seems less complex in a, in a way. Yeah, there's a lot of complex stuff going on, but I know what my first priority is and I, you do that and then you do the next one and then the next one and the next one. It seems like it's just a, it can be a very straightforward process if you are able to see it that way or if it presents itself that way. So saying that, and again, going back to the movie thing, I always like to talk to people about like, if they're a doctor, do they watch like doctor shows? If they're, you know, in the marine life, do they, do they, do you find that you can watch movies like that? Or do you have some favorites that you're like, oh, this was really good and I found that to be accurate or this one was like a total malarkey? Yeah, well, a lot of them are total malarkey. <laughs> I don't think I have a favorite. Uh, at least I can't think of one this minute. Probably after this interview that it'll come yeah, back. Oh, you like, oh, that one. Yeah. I don't seek them out particularly. Okay. You, you know, I'll, I'll watch one or two. There's usually something, a lot of the drama that goes on, it doesn't look like anything on camera. The vessel's sinking inch by inch, but the drama in your, when you know where it's going is, it's not the same thing. It's, it's, you've got terrific drama going on in, in a cerebral sense. It doesn't look that great on film. So they're always having to try to, you know, make it look exciting. And, you know, some of the stuff, there's a lot of action involved. For example, you know, the the people who are trying to escape from their cabins, that was a pretty good action-packed scene. The rest of it, you know, it didn't look that way because everybody was calm. The passengers were, I was amazed how calm they were and how uh, well-behaved and cooperative. There was no shouting, no crying. No, oh, really? Nobody argued. <laughs> nobody argued. Nobody um, belligerent or smart alecky or insolent or anything like that they, they were awesome no one refusing to put on uh, life jackets because it's interrupting with their freedom <laughs> <laughs> no there wasn't any of that there wasn't any of that in fact there were a couple of guys uh two men who were assisting people getting into the life raft it looked like they knew each other probably you know traveling together and one on either side of the entrance, just helping people get in. And I looked at these two, and I, I thought, man, I almost thought, do we, do we, have we got two extra crew members that I've never met? Oh yeah, because you know, they were so, they were just sort of at your service. Was their, their kind of um, attitude? Oh wow, you know, they didn't try to tell anybody what to do. They were just whatever they could do to help. We'll, we'll do it. You want to stay out of the way? We'll stay out of the way. That, that's always good to see, you know, some humanity, yeah. you know, like where people kind of come together, right? Some come togetherness. I always, I, I love when I see any of that, but that's good. Yeah. So I don't want to give away too much, you know, I don't want you to tell me too okay. much about what's in the book. I want people to go out there and buy it. 
where can people go out and uh, pick up your book? Any bookstore will order it for you. Okay. And you can find it online if you, if you Google it. It's called Queen of the North. Queen of the North Disaster. The Captain's Story. If you just Google Queen of the North book, you will, you will find it. And you'll find a bookstore that has it. And, you know, Chapters, for example, carried it. Um, you can order it through them or really any bookstore in, in Canada. Any, any more writing in your future? Well, I would like to, I guess, but I, I, I don't have a, I don't have a subject <laughs> and I, uh, I don't want to go through an experience like that just to, <laughs> yeah. have to, just to have something to write about. So, oh, I don't have any, um, I don't have any plans to write. I, if I, you know, if I was, if a subject presents itself, then maybe I, maybe I will, uh, I would, I would like to, but, um. I just don't have a, I don't have a story right now. And right now, are you, um, so you're no longer with BC Ferries? You're right now I'm, uh, employed by the Canadian Coast Guard. I'm an officer in Victoria, BC with them since, uh, 2012. I, I've been working for the Coast Guard. How was that? That's probably like right now. And I'm, I'm me being, me being, um, a land guy in the middle of Alberta here, but, with all the supply chain and all the stuff that's going on, is, is it? We've had an extremely busy year. Started getting busy in an unusual way. Uh, well, just a little bit before COVID, I guess. There was more uh, demand on us because of increased shipping on the BC coast, especially due to pipelines and terminal expansions and so on. We've got way more shipping coming into the coast than, than ever before. At the same time, more and more people um, on the water for pleasure. That was just a uh, sort of natural progression. People are, there's more people, more people getting boats, et cetera. So that started getting busy. And then COVID, that really made, um, got us busy for just trying to manage a business of any sort during COVID with all the challenges that it brought on. It also meant that people couldn't go on holidays to where they normally go, but they could go out and buy a boat. We had a lot more people, many of them with less experience. So we've been very busy with that. And then um, this last period with the, the heavy rains in, in British Columbia and the uh, state of emergencies, we've been, uh, not so much uh, direct uh, Coast Guard work a little bit, but just like the armed forces, the province has put in a, a request for assistance. And we happen to have helicopters and ships and personnel and so on that um, get drafted into the, into the emergency. Um, we've had personnel um, go into the emergency um, Operations center that's operated by the province. We've had um, aircraft and vessels that are not doing marine search and rescue. They're doing humanitarian work instead and still having to manage. And we have a lot of difficulty finding and uh, crewing our own vessels, partly because of COVID, partly because of other considerations of just the modern, uh, modern era. So yeah, it's been very hectic. Uh, last couple of years that's, that's, yeah, that's crazy yeah well right on well i'm thanking you again for coming on to my podcast and joining us here at uh 
the Epic Phelan podcast, and might have to have you back on. And hopefully, there will maybe be another book <laughs> or or uh, or something. I always love picking you know, picking people's brains on on what they do because there's there's so much crazy stuff that's happening around this world that you know we don't uh, you don't have to look far. There is, and and I found out over my life that every job has more to it than meets the eye. You try out at one of these any other job that you think is going to be nothing to it, and you find out no, there's a lot more to it than I realized. Or you you get to meet people who are in a diff, a job you haven't done, and find out what they. There's always more to it. Yeah, except, except for realtor, realtor. That's that's one of those things. <laughs> Yeah. 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 But thanks. Thanks again, Colin. And uh, until next time, stay epic. Thanks again for listening to Epic Phelan. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe. Give me a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Real Ryan Phelan. And visit my website at thecalgaryrealestateguy.com. Until next time, stay epic.